Fantastic, you've got your seats. And as you've taken your seats, and before I start this morning, I want to ask you um, to remember Leon, uh, our senior pastor, in your prayers this week. He returns home on Tuesday uh, after being away for two weeks in Los Angeles and Dallas, Texas. He's currently in Dallas there at the moment. So please pray for his and Matt's um, safe return coming home on Tuesday. Hey, please just pray that he returns. It's been a tough two weeks. <laughs> I'm joking. I've been at a conference this week as well while he's, um, while he's been away. Leon got to go to Los Angeles and Dallas, Texas. I got to go just up the road to the great city of Coventry. Coventry. Now, it was good. Uh, I enjoyed it. And in all seriousness, please pray for, for Leon and Matters as they return this week. I'm so looking forward to hearing about all they've experienced. So today, we're continuing with our series, The Great Emoticon. Uh, and we've already looked at, in weeks one, joy, and then week two, anger. And this morning, I get to speak on the emotion of disgust which I'm sure you'll agree is an easy emotion to speak about. That's why I chose it. To say I chose it is a huge fat lie. To say I was left with it because I'm not that vocal in meetings is more of the truth. But I was excited by it, and I hope that what I've learned about this emotion will prove to be useful to you this morning. See, I believe this will be useful to you even if you wouldn't consider yourself good catch. That deserves a round of applause, doesn't it? <laughs> I believe this will be useful to you, even if you wouldn't consider yourself uh, a Christian this morning. Disgust, you see, affects us all, and we all need uh, to know how to handle it correctly. So what are you disgusted by? Could it be this? Marmite. It's disgusting. You either love it or hate it. Who here loves Marmite? <laughs> you weirdos. What about, what about this one? Thanks for asking, Sinead. That is tripe. Tripe. That is disgusting, isn't it? What about this? The next one? That is cooked tripe. It looks no better, does it? That is still disgusting. What about the next one? Black pudding. Who likes black pudding? Wow, we got a mixed bunch. Okay, the next one for the vegetarians. Throw someone. Brussels sprouts. Again, either love or hate it. This is one I actually love, the first one. My, my wife doesn't love it when I eat them, but moving on. Next one. Next one for the black country folk. Faggots. Don't get it myself. Don't like them myself. What about this one? For your animal lovers, it's a dog there. I wouldn't like to be licked by him, if, if I'm honest. I'm, I'm sure uh, his owner loves him. But the worst one, the most disgusting of all, and it really made me sick, it wanted to make me heave when I saw this. Take a look at the screens. <laughs> Pass me the bucket. <laughs> West Bromager. I'm joking, just jealous that you're still in it. Well, we are for a little while. 
so my granddad, my granddad was a, a butcher by trade. And as a youngster, when I'd visit my nan and granddad's house, I remember disliking with a passion having to go into their kitchen. You see, as I went into the kitchen, there'd be pots and, and big pans there on the stove. Um, and in them, there'd be brains, there'd be pigs trotters, tripe, as you just saw, sweet bread. And I'm not going to explain what that is. You can ask your neighbor next to you. And I'd avoid going into the kitchen for that very reason. And then my mom, as a youngster, she had a, a pet lamb for a short period of time. And it was for a short period of time because one Sunday afternoon, her dad, my granddad, served it for lunch. That's a, a true story. And my mom was totally disgusted and devastated. And to this day, lamb is still off the menu. It's banned in her household. I never knew what lamb tasted like until I was in my 20s and had left home. And I haven't told her as well that I eat it and love it. So if she listens to this podcast, I'm in big trouble. Disgust. Disgust affects us all differently, but we can all manage it effectively. You see, God gives us emotions so that we can experience life, not destroy it. They are a gift from him, which means we don't have to be scared of them, that we don't have to ignore them, but instead we can engage with them and embrace them. We control them, they don't control us. And Jesus, Jesus expressed all of these emotions that we're looking at through this series, and we see them played out in the Bible. Jesus had incredible joy, joy that came from knowing his identity, and from his relationship he had with his father. Jesus was angry. He overturned the tables in the temple courts when he saw his father's house being used corruptly. It was righteous anger. And sadly, there's lots of anger in the world we live in today, and disgust has a lot to do with that. Jesus feared another emotion. He sweats what was like drops of blood in the garden of Gethsemane, the Bible tells us. If that isn't fear, then I don't know what is. Jesus experienced sadness. Jesus wept, the shortest verse in the Bible. And he does this when he discovers that his closest friend has died. He was sad. But you may be asking, what about disgust? I asked that too. And we see many examples of this in the Bible also. And it was always aimed at the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. Jesus was disgusted at their hypocritical nature, and he often told them so. He was disgusted that they didn't practice what they preached, that they crushed people with, his, with their religious demands, and that they never lifted a finger to ease people's burdens. Matthew 23 tells us that. And the language Jesus uh, informs us, the language Jesus uses informs us that he's disgusted in them. Matthew 23 20, and verses 27 to 28 say this. You hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of, de of the dead and everything else unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. You also can't ignore either Jesus' 
words and warning to the church in Laodicea in Revelations 3 verse 16 because it's directly related um, to taste and being disgusted. You see, it says this, so because you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. That seems harsh, disgusting, but this church was no longer uh, a light shining in the darkness. It had become complacent and self-sufficient in its own wealth, and it ceased to be effective for Christ. And it's a, a warning that we have to take notice of today. You see, complacency, comfortableness, self-sufficiency can affect us all. We have to recognize our great need for Jesus and always keep him at the center. Jesus is disgusted at hypocrisy, at indifference, at injustice, at wickedness, and ultimately religion. And we know that Jesus didn't come to institute a religion. He came to create a relationship so that all people, all people could have a, a real, authentic relationship with him. So what is it that really disgusts us? You see, we can be disgusted by many things. Then there are extremes to this that I'm not going to cover today. But I will say this one thing. Don't let the media shape your disgust. You see, we can be influenced by what we see and by what we read in the media, when we should actually be influenced by what we see God doing and what we read in our Bible. You see, the world is quick to promote hate, quick to promote disgust, where God only promotes love. See, we have a, a responsibility to keep a, a check on that for ourselves and not get carried away or sucked into the world's thinking on this. But instead, like the Bible says, to have the mind of Christ. And if we don't keep a check on it, we can become like the Pharisees. We can become hypocrites and indifferent. And then we distance ourselves from the very world that needs us. Disgust is a very complex and complicated emotion. Disgust is a learnt emotion, which means you can unlearn some things too. Let me explain uh, for a little while. A, a parent, a parent when faced with changing their baby's dirty nappy for the first time, may be in total disgust. Some of you have, have been there. But over time, that person becomes less disgusted by the nappies of their own child. They come to terms with it but will still remain disgusted by the dirty nappies of other people's children. It's also thought that you can be influenced by others to find certain things disgusting. And again, we see this with food, which can be passed on to children by their parents. See, because of their parents' dislike for something, the child may pick that up and never try that food as a result. And I see this with Kara. Dee hates eggs, fried eggs, boiled eggs, poached eggs. Wow, she hates them. I love them. But Kara won't even try them. Something's ingrained in her. She won't try it. She's like, I don't like it. I'm like, you haven't tried it. No, I don't like it. I'm like, you haven't tried it. But she's got that from Dee, so that happens. And disgust is originally an emotion to protect us from harm. And that is connected to taste. 
But when it comes to things we find socially disgusting, it's a very different ball game. You see, disgust with something socially leaves a strong feeling of disapproval and dislike at a situation or even at a person's behavior. And this can lead to us becoming critical, cynical, judgmental, and to writing people off who are different to ourselves. And it's here that we find disgust doesn't always help us, and that actually disgust can harm us. See, many times our feelings of disgust serve no purpose whatsoever. They prevent us from expanding our personal and social horizons, or at worst, enable us to cause harm or disregard others. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, you can check out for a little bit. You know, this may be helpful and interesting to you, and it's something for you to think about. But if you are a Christian here, as many of you are, this is important, and it's something we have to manage because we can harm others and ultimately harm ourselves. Let me show you an example in the Bible where this nearly happens. You may know the story well. It's the story of Jonah from the book, surprisingly, called Jonah in the Old Testament. You don't have to turn there. But Jonah was called by God, but Jonah ran away from God. Jonah was told to go to the city of Nineveh, a wicked city that God wanted to save through him. Jonah was not content to simply tell God no. He went, he ran in the opposite direction. Jonah then, while on a ship going in the opposite, opposite direction, gets thrown off that ship and is swallowed by a big fish. He's in the belly of this fish for three days, the Bible tells us. Jonah was a man who understood what it meant to need grace. See, from the belly of the fish, he cries out to God. But at the same time, he found himself unwilling to extend that same grace to certain kinds of people. Jonah ends up in Nineveh, but with a bad attitude. He does do what God asks, and the city is eventually saved. But Jonah has a huge problem with this. He was critical. He was cynical. He was judgmental. He wrote these people off because they were different to him. He was disgusted by their behavior. And he actually wanted God to punish them, not save them. See, hypocrisy sets in. The grace that Jonah cried out to God for is the same grace he didn't want to extend to the Ninevites. And in Jonah chapter 4, we see how this harmed him. He says this, just kill me now. Just kill me now, Lord, he says. I'd rather be dead than alive. And I find this remarkable and can't believe the comment he makes but this is what disgust can do. It harms us. We go hard on the inside. We can become critical, judgmental. And we see this all through the Bible with the Pharisees. And it made them dead on the inside. So this is something we have to guard against at all costs. The moral of the Jonah story is that receiving grace is often easier than dispensing it. You see, we can pick and choose who grace is for. When we're on the receiving end uh, of grace, it's refreshing. But when it's required of us, it's often disturbing. And the opposite of disgust, guys, isn't a lack of disgust. It goes way further than that. The opposite of disgust is unmerited favor. 
It's mercy when you don't deserve it. It's total acceptance. It's unconditional love. It's what we've been singing about all morning. It's grace. And if we've received it, we have no right to withhold it. You see, God's grace is immeasurable, yet his requirement is minimal. Grace is never earned. It's offered. Grace is for every, everyone, regardless of our prejudices or disgust. Grace is what we crave the most when our guilt is exposed. But it's the very thing we're hesitant to extend when we're confronted with the guilt of others, especially when their guilt has robbed us of something we consider valuable. We can end up just like Jonah and make a, a judgment call. And it's here that I want us to pause for a minute. See, I've been really challenged by this. And it may be that God wants to challenge some of you in this room this morning. See, Jonah made a judgment call. And if we're honest, we all do the same. But while we're being honest, I want to ask you a question. Who are the Ninevites in your life? You see, who are the people you have a hard time extending grace to? Who do you secretly wish would get what you think they have come into them? You can start with large groups of people that the media may have influenced you with. But what about the smaller groups? Those that have once been close to you. A friend that you no longer see because they may have hurt you. A family member you have no longer contact with. What about an ex-boss, uh, an ex-partner, an ex-husband, an ex-wife? And I know what you're thinking because I've been there myself. That's personal. That's unfair. And while they are certainly personal, it's not unfair. Because those are people who need God's grace too. See, hurt, anger, mistrust can easily become disgust. And it's this that stops us from extending grace. But what I've learned from grace is this. Grace has two sides. It is something to be received and it is something to be extended. And if we have one without the other, we have to ask ourselves whether we fully understand the, the concept of grace. See, Jesus, Jesus personified grace. Jesus was comfortable with those that the others had cast aside, that the others, those were disgusted with. He, he, he was spent time with those who most needed what only his grace could provide. People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. And Jesus liked people who were nothing like him. And we have to be the same. Let's not let, let's not let our disgust get in the way of that. And then in Luke uh, 7, 36 to 50, there's an incredible story where we see this played out and we see how Jesus reached out and dealt with this thing, disgust, at the same time. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If not, the words should come up on the screens. But let's look at this together. It says this, starting with verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with them, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. 
a woman in that town who lived a sinful life, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him, at his feet weeping, she began to wet his face with her tears, wet, wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him right now and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus heard what he was thinking and he answers him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owned it. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that he, he forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That's a, an incredible story there. And I'd love to know how that dinner party continued. I'd love to see what happened next. And I don't know if you've ever had uh, an invitation to, to go to someone's house for dinner, so, some food. You know, the thoughts are a nice idea, but you really don't want to go. You'd do anything not to go, but you can't think of a, a good excuse or lie because you're Christians. So you end up going. Well, this is one of those invitations for Jesus. He doesn't want to be there. You see, if you study the character of Jesus, you will know that he didn't hang out with religious leaders. See, he would always hang out and spend time with the ones the religious leaders judged. Jesus always chose to hang out with tax collectors, with sinners, with prostitutes, the ones that society had written off, those that the religious leaders had disgust for. They accused Jesus of such. And I think it's time we in the church should be accused of that too. You see, if we're all spending time with saved people, we need to widen our circle because there are too many people in this town alone that need to know of God's grace. They need to know that God loves them, that he's for them, that he died to save them. And it's down to us to go and tell them. Let's not be like Jonah and go in the opposite direction. Back to the story and Jesus is at a dinner party he doesn't want to be at. But then it all gets interesting. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life, and that's the Bible's polite way, nice way of saying she was a prostitute. She learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. 
So she went there with a bottle of perfume. And it's interesting to me, just as, as an aside, that she knew where this Pharisee's house was and that she had no problem entering it. That, that may have been because she's already been there. Just a thought. See, this lady's broken and she's well aware of her own shame. And as she enters the house, she approaches Jesus and she stood behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. She then kneels down, still behind him, and wiped them with her hair, and kissed them, and poured the perfume on them. Did you get that? She does all this while she's behind Jesus. And it strikes me that nothing stops us more from approaching Jesus face to face than our guilt, than our shame, our disgust, our mistakes of the past. Shame, shame that keeps informing us that we're not worthy of a relationship with Jesus. Shame that tries to stop us going to Jesus. So you need to know this morning that no matter what you've done, regardless of the mistakes you've made, no matter what voice is telling you otherwise, if you've given your life to Jesus, then that shame has gone. It's been dealt with because Jesus came to shame, shame. See, he dealt with all that shame on the cross, all your shame, my shame, everyone's shame, no matter how big or small. It was dealt with once and for all. His grace destroyed shame. And we have to accept this ourselves and then go on to extend it to others. You see, when shame isn't dealt with, it does affect how we view and treat others. You see, where there's shame, there can be blame. And then when there's the two together, there's often disgust. And we see this in the Pharisee's remark as he says to himself, possibly with a huge look of disgust on his face. If this man was a prophet, he would know who's touching him right now. He would know what kind of a woman she is. She is a sinner. That's disgust right there. That's contempt. Jesus answers Simon. I love how he hears what he's thinking. And then he goes on to tell him. And we'll look at that uh, just for a little bit longer. Two people owed him money, he says, to a certain moneylender. One whom owed him lots, 500 denarii, the other only 50. But neither had the money to pay him back. So he forgave both the debts. Now, which of them would love him more? Jesus, he's asking. He's trying to help Simon get this. Simon says, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You're correct, Jesus replies. He's helping him get it. But watch this. What he says in verse 44 is amazing. See, Jesus is letting Simon know that he's got it wrong. The woman is behind Jesus. But it says, then he turned to the woman. Jesus is now facing the woman. And you need to know here that Jesus will always turn to the broken and he will always correct the religious. He turned to the woman, but he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, 
but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. Can you imagine in that moment what that woman must have felt like? All her disgust, all her shame is broken. Then he goes on to say, therefore I tell you, her many sins are forgiven. But whoever, right back at Simon, whoever has been forgiven, little loves little. You see, Simon, Simon didn't even do the basic customary things that were required of him, that were expected of him to to wash the, the rabbi's feet as he entered the room. Yet this woman, this broken woman, does the least uh, that's expected of her. You see, the Bible says that a woman's glory is in her hair. And she is washing Jesus' feet with it. What this says to me is that she is recognizing that Jesus is the only one worthy of her glory. And it's in that moment that her shame is broken. She's face to face with Jesus. Her disgust is broken. This woman walked into a house full of religion, but she leaves changed because of a relationship. You see, religion always judges, but relationship always extends grace. And it's in Jesus she finds that grace. We can be sure that grace destroys disgust which means we can be in control of that emotion. You see, when we understand grace and are filled with grace, it changes us. And we can use this emotion in the right way and stand against hypocrisy and difference, injustice and religion, just as Jesus did and just as Jesus calls us to do. See, it's important for me to know what we've been saved from but equally important to know what we've been saved for. See, when we remember the grace that saved us, we have no option to share it with those broken around us. And that is exactly what we've been saved for, to show God's love and to extend God's grace to a broken world that needs it. Knowing that no one is exempt from it. See, we receive it and we release it that's God's intention but we have to keep experiencing it to extend it and that's where we're gonna end this morning it's where we're gonna finish today if the band want to come back up we've already sang lots about grace this morning that's intentional because we need it it destroys the disgust and the shame that we can feel in us. And it destroys the disgust that leaks out of us in our attitude towards others. But we have to admit to ourselves that we constantly need God's grace. You see, a a declaration of thirst is an invitation for God to quench our thirst. And I wanna give you a, a moment to do that this morning. So let's close our eyes. In a minute, in a minute, I want to give you a moment to admit to God 
that you need his grace constantly to make that declaration that you're thirsty and then to invite God to quench that thirst. You can experience God's grace again this morning. It may also be this morning that God's shown you some of the Ninevites in your life, some of those people you have a problem extending grace to. Maybe he's asking you to extend that grace. If so, take a moment first to receive from him. Then pray for them because it's as we first experience his grace that we then can extend his grace. Maybe this morning also that some of you have been carrying guilt, condemnation, disgust, shame around you for far too long now. And you're fed up with feeling disgusting. Well, today, it's time to let it go. Shake it off. It's not yours anymore because Jesus came to shame shame. It doesn't belong to you. And it's here that you need to know that his grace is sufficient for you. It's his grace that saved you. It's his grace that changes you. And it's his grace that covers you. It's his grace that sets you free. And as you're praying, as you're doing business with God, Gemma is going to sing over us. Maybe this morning that you want someone to pray with you. The prayer team are here for that. You can come to the front during a respond, during a song, respond however you want to. Or there's a prayer room straight after the service. But give God this moment. Allow him to fill you with his grace again. Ask to receive it again. And as we do respond, Gemma is going to sing this incredible song, which is a a great reminder uh, of God's grace and of the cross where all our shame was dealt with. It's no greater reminder of God's grace than him giving his life up for you. In a minute, we're going to worship. But now in this moment, let's seek to receive God's grace again. This is your moment. Ask, receive, and then let's worship. God's grace is amazing, isn't it? Isn't it? You can't help but be changed by it. You can't help but be transformed because of it. You know, in this story with the woman, I've only just noticed it. No words were necessary. You can check it for yourself. She didn't say a thing. She was just at Jesus' feet. And she worshipped. That's something for someone right there. When you're feeling low, when disgust rises, get back to Jesus' feet. Worship. Because that's what changes us. Guys, I want to pray for you as you leave. As we've received grace, we've got no choice but to extend it. Let's be the extension of 
God's grace to the world that needs it. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for your amazing grace. Father, I want to thank you that it saved us. That you met us where we were at, but you changed us to who you want us to be. And Father, now I pray as, as we've received it again, as we've experienced it now, let's go and extend it. Let's not give the world our junk and our disgust. Let's give it the grace that you've freely given it us. So Father, help us to realize first that we're free. Our shame is gone. It's dealt with. It's done. Let's be now be your extension of grace to the world that don't know it yet. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.